Get ready for the smartest bundle in streaming. Six streaming services for the intellectually curious. Featuring CuriosityStream with the best collection of documentary films and TV shows. Psalm TV and great stories from the world of wine. Taste made for the fun side of food and travel. Topic with the best thrillers and crime stories. And so much more. From nature to history, technology to food, mystery to adventure. Get six streaming services for one low price. At less than $6 a month, it's the best deal in streaming. Learn more and sign up now at smartbundle.com. Welcome to episode 19 in the History of Skipton series with me, Ian Lockwood, author of the book The History of Skipton. In the last episode, we looked at the first mill in Skipton. This was situated at the entrance to the woods, and you can still see the remnants of this building today. If this, the High Mill, was the first Skipton cotton mill, then the most important and successful was Bellevue run by the Dewhurst family. Today's episode looks at this mill. A quick word before we start about terminology. This factory was always known to many Skiptonians, my family included, as Dewhursts. However, its correct name was Bellevue Mills, and you'll come across it in several photographs or accounts using that name. Bellevue Mills or Dewhurst Mill. It's the same thing. Until today, that is. I'll be having a little rant about its current name at the end, so apologies in advance. Back to the Dewursts, who were originally farmers from Martin, just to the west of Skipton. Thomas Dewurst had a profitable sideline, importing woollen twist for handloom weavers. In 1789, he had occupied a mill at Elslack, and then he expanded into Ayrton, where there was another mill. By 1813, Thomas was in partnership with his sons, John, Isaac and James. And between 1813 and 1816, they were also leasing two mills at Empsey. So they were pretty big players in the cotton world. Thomas died in 1820, and in 1828... The business was centralised with the construction of Bellevue Mill alongside the canal on Skipton's Broughton Road. A severe 1835 fire could not stop the rapid expansion of the firm and the building was extended in 1854, 1860 and 1864 before the site almost doubled in size with the opening of the Eastern Wing in 1869. Just a quick word on that 1835 fire which caused huge damage to the seven-year-old mill. I've read in some previous books about Skipton that it was a case of arson. However, I've looked deeply into the contemporary records and there's no mention of arson being the cause. Maybe it was, but I'd point out that mills were highly combustible places and mill fires were by no means uncommon. If you'll cast your mind back to the last podcast, I related contemporary newspaper reports on how quickly and easily the fire which burnt down the low silk mill in 1908 was accidentally started. The Dewars thrived 
and closed down their other mills to concentrate on Skipton. Their eastern wing alongside Ellerbeck was added in 1869. It was a splendid occasion, with a supper attended by 200 workers. They ate roast beef, ham, mutton, veal, game and fowl, followed by plum pudding. James Houghton, who had been in the family employ for more than 50 years, was chosen to give the toast. The Cravenier pioneer commented, Many of our Skipton readers will remember what a weary and hard task it was to reach a good foundation at the corner nearest the town. Pumping had to be kept up day and night for many weeks, and the difficulty was one that might well have appalled and tired out less courageous men. So there were obviously problems in the construction of this mill. But the new extension marked a departure for the company, as it now began to concentrate on cotton thread for sewing rather than chasing markets for general work. And it was this niche which was to be the foundation of the prosperity of Dewhurst's mill. In 1947, an official history of the company described this concentration on cotton thread for sewing as a most important step for the firm, for thereafter their reputation was largely built up on the excellence of their sewing threads, which soon became noted for their strength, smoothness and elasticity, which won many high awards at leading exhibitions. But what were conditions like in this mill? Well, a significant case in the Leeds Assizes Court in 1873 was followed in the town with great interest. A 30-year-old spooler called Mary Jane Simpson, who had worked at Dewhurst's, sued the firm for £1,000 after an horrific accident. Simpson was working on a machine when she bent down to pick up a small piece which had fallen off the machinery. A headscarf got caught up and she was dragged into the machinery. Her scalp was torn off and despite more than a year in the infirmary, followed by further recovery in her parents' home in Huddersfield, doctors were of the view that the wound would never heal. The company, while admitting that part of the machinery was uncovered, argued that there was no legal requirement for it to be so and the operative had contributed to the accident by her negligence. The judge ordered the jury to ask themselves three questions. Was the machinery exempt from the Factory Acts? Was the machinery covered? Did the operative contribute to her injuries through negligence? If the answer was no to all three, then the jury must find for Mary Simpson. But the jury decided that the answer was yes to the last question. She had contributed to her injuries through negligence, and so poor Simpson lost the case. Three months later, in a case at the Court of Exchequer in London, that's a court which heard appeals in civil cases and was in fact abolished soon after this case, the court ruled that the Factory Acts did not give employers a defence against compensation for claims against injury if their workers were negligent. However, no order was made to compensate Simpson. Two interesting points from this case. Firstly, 
that Simpson came originally from Huddersfield and was attracted to Skipton to work in the mill. Secondly, this landmark case established a legal precedent that employee negligence was not an absolute defence for workplace accidents. In March 1877, the Dewhurst received permission to build the Yet More, this time a dye house on the opposite side of Broughton Road, on the site of what is now BM Bargains and its car park. The two sites were connected by an overhead gangway over Broughton Road. Despite some misgivings at the time about this being an eyesore, the bridge was given permission and was to be a familiar sight in the town for a century. The Dewars factory was the town's principal employer and the Dewars family played a critical role in the town. Head of the family from the extension was John Bonney Dewhurst, who bought the Avil home from the Alcock family. To mark his golden wedding in 1894, an extravagant garden party was thrown at Avil, with music provided by the Duke of Wellington's regimental band. The next day, Dewhurst workers were treated to teas and a sports day, the highlight of which was a tug-of-war between the workers and the local police. The latter won. The workers held meetings over what to buy the Dewars to mark the occasion. Ideas included a herd of deer for Evel, or a life-size bronze statue. They eventually settled on a solid silver jardiniere, that's a large plant holder, with the Dewars coat of arms, and mounted on an ebony and ivory plinth. These big set-piece celebrations were major social events in Skipton. In March 1913, to celebrate the opening of a new dye house, more than 1,000 employees were treated to tea. There were so many that they were accommodated at various Sunday schools dotted around the town before they met up for a dance and entertainment at the Olympia Skating Rink. Mr G. Ehrman, general manager, said to applause that the next phase would be the construction of a dining hall for employees who found it inconvenient to return home during the lunch hour. The Jewish success was based on their willingness to embrace new techniques. They were prime movers in the formation of a conglomerate of similar firms called the English Sewing Cotton Company. This was formed in 1897 to protect the mutual interests of the companies involved. With a share capital of £1 million, there were eight concerns in the company to start with. The prime movers behind this were John Bonney's son, Algernon Dewhurst, who was effectively now running Bellevue Mills, and Charles Rickards, who owned a large cotton factory at Belbus and a silk mill in Skipton, plus similar cotton mill owners in Matlock, Chesterfield, Manchester, Belper, Leicester and Beath in Scotland. By December of that year, there were 14 associate companies and the share capital was £2.25 million. The conglomeration was formed 
so that each company maintained its individuality. And for this purpose, subsidiary limited companies were formed, but all their shares were owned by the English Sewing Cotton Company. The partner or owner of the firms remained in management of his subsidiary while the title was handed over to the ESCC. The aim of the new consortium was obvious, to fix prices. One of the main objects of the company is to prevent undercutting, said one trade journal, and the consortium was widely referred to as the Thread Monopoly. John Bonney Dewhurst, who died in 1904 at the age of 88, was president of the Skipton Liberals, a party that was firmly committed to free trade and a declared enemy of protectionism. In 1905, just a year after Bonnie Dewhurst died, there was an election fought on the subject of free trade. Yet, this paragon of the Skipton Liberals saw nothing wrong with price-fixing in his sector of the economy. Fifty years later, the English Sewing Cotton Company produced an official history and the aim of creating a cartel was not disguised. It said, There existed a state of uncertainty due to a lack of coordination in the thread industry. There was an urgent need for some stabilising influence, and it was essential for the retailers to be given some assurance that this state of affairs would not persist, and that prices would be fixed at a reasonable level. Continual fluctuation in price due to a policy of cutting, had been a cause of much dissension and ill-feeling within the trade, and it was the purpose of the new organisation to keep prices on a fair and equable basis. Algernon Dewhurst was the first chairman of the English Sewing Cotton Company, and the official history paints a sycophantic picture of him. An able and experienced man of business, far-seeing and shrewd, with the integrity and sense of leadership essential to his new duties. An imposing figure, with his high domed forehead and patriarchal beard, he had both presence and authority, and under his guidance and leadership, the new company was able to master many difficulties which inevitably rise in this its teething period. Despite this fulsome praise, all did not go well with the new company, as hinted in the last line of that quotation. Algernon Dewhurst was soon manoeuvred off the board, and there was a particularly bitter meeting of the shareholders at Manchester's Free Trade Hall in April of 1902. There were more than 450 shareholders present to discuss a report that the company was overcapitalised, in other words, too many shares had been issued, making it impossible to provide a decent dividend. The company had purchased several mills in the United States, paying the owners partly in shares, and thus diluting the value of the rest. The chairman was now John Lawton, from a mill in Matlock in Derbyshire and he took the chair and named one example of too much being paid for a sewing cotton manufacturer, Dewhurst Mill in Skipton. 
Three times more than the business had been worth had been paid for it. Lawton said, It was an old mill at which a certain portion of the machinery had to be replaced. When one shareholder said that the administration of the new English sewing cotton company was inefficient and extravagant, there was loud applause and cheers. It was a severe condemnation of the Dewhurst, the prime movers in the English sewing cotton company, with the accusation that too much had been paid for the Skipton building. There were even hints of financial malpractice and a resolution to investigate the books was put forward. Instead, a less controversial amendment to set up a committee to find a new board was narrowly passed. But the ensuing uproar lasted ten minutes before the meeting could resume. The company was to report a loss of £127,000. No wonder the shareholders were so agitated. One of the company's problems was its structure. If there was a downturn in the sewing thread market, the overheads involved in running several mills, each with its own independent management and administrative structure, was a liability. By 1905, the company had decided to consolidate, reduce overheads and improve operating efficiency. The Jewish control of their Skipton Mill was considerably reduced. In 1924, the company, or rather its welfare society, opened a recreation hall with storage for cotton bales underneath on the junction of Cavendish Street and Broughton Road. It's since been knocked down. But when opened in 1924, it was the biggest hall in the town and could accommodate 800 to 1,000 people with ease. Previous events held for employees at the town hall had been packed to capacity. Now the workers had their own facility and the Jewish social hall was far bigger than the town hall. The main entrance was on the corner of Cavendish Street with Broughton Road, where the two roads meet, with a stage and an emergency door onto Cavendish Street. This welfare hall quickly became hugely popular, with dancing forming a major part of the Skipton social scene in the interwar years and just after. Four years after the social hall opened, the company provided an outside recreation area with Crown Bowling Green, three crushed red brick tennis courts, a putting green and a pavilion on land adjoining the canal, now the site of Hallcroft Housing Development. There emerged too, in this period, a name which became synonymous with Skipton, Silco. These small bobbins of cotton came in more than 300 colours so customers could match thread to the garment they were repairing. The company's 50th anniversary book in 1947 paints a picture of the company and its products. A Skipton workforce of 660, two-thirds of them women, was churning out a million of these small cotton bobbins of thread every week. Each of these million per week had 100 yards of thread, 
and they were exported round the world. The wooden bobbins were manufactured at another English sewing cotton company site, R.F. and J. Alexander of Neilston in Glasgow, and they were brought to Skipton where the coloured thread was wound mechanically onto each one. Previously, these bobbins had been manufactured in Skipton at a small spindle mill off Court Street. The name is preserved by the early 21st housings set up there at Spindle Close. Before the consolidation of the English Sewing Cotton Company closed the Skipton Spindle Mill and transferred bobbin manufacture to Glasgow. It is no exaggeration to say that a few Silco bobbins could be found in virtually every home in the country in the first half of the 20th century. The company history claimed it is the best sewing thread obtainable because it is produced from only the finest and most carefully selected raw cotton and because it is processed by only the most modern methods and machinery. Silco is almost remarkable for its absolute uniformity in colour and texture. It is thus both strong and silky, lustrous and unfading, an article of beauty as well as of utility. Presentation boxes showed the Silco cotton thread in a variety of rainbow colours, and they were exported all round the world. Silco were the world leaders in sewing cotton bobbins. And I'll repeat that fact from the 1947 book. More than one million of these cotton bobbins were produced in Skipton every week. Alas, it could not last. By 1983, the workforce, once almost a thousand, had shrunk to just 240. And in February of that year, the company announced that it was closing its Skipton factory and transferring the business to Neilston in Glasgow and Derwent Valley Mills in Derbyshire. And this, ironically, is the site where Arkwright had set up his pioneering spinning jenny. The news created a storm of protest meetings and action plans, but it was all bluster. The company, in truth, had been struggling for some years against foreign ex imports, and manager George Wilson explained that Skipton was closing because it was the most difficult of the sites to operate for two reasons. Its dye shop was separated from the main building by Broughton Road, and the design of the mill made it the hardest to introduce new technology. The ownership of Dewhursts, part of the English Sewing Cotton Company, had passed into the hands of first Calico Printers Limited, which became English Calico, and then Tutal Limited. In 1991, Tutal was acquired by Coates Viella, which today, as the Coates Group, still claims to be the world's biggest manufacturer of cotton threads with factories around the world. But not, of course, in Skipton. And the Silco name has been consigned to the dustbin. It is, however, fondly remembered by sewing devotees, although as years go by, the numbers who recall it grow ever fewer. 
The loss of the iconic Silco brand, and Skipton's main employer for decades, was a huge blow to the town. Not least for people like Fred Dawson, shop steward for the Transport and General Workers Union, who had been employed at Dewar's for 43 years. But long service was typical of Dewhurst. Over the next few weeks, Fred Dawson and most of the staff found their employment terminated, despite several council meetings, questions from the local MP John Watson in the House of Commons, and a raft of petitions. When the announcement came, it was in the teeth of the 1980s recession, and there were 1,089 registered unemployed at the Skipton Job Centre, and virtually no vacancies. By July 1983, production had stopped in Skipton, except for a very small bit of mercerising. That's swelling of the cell wall of the cotton fibre to increase the surface area to give the fibre a softer feel. In September 1983, the building was sold to Kingsley Cards and the 240 Dewars workers joined the 1,089 registered unemployed in the town. Kingsley Cards, which produced greetings cards, operated from there until it went into administration in 2006 and the old mill was subsequently converted into a complex of flats and offices, including the headquarters of Craven District Council. Which brings me to the promised rant. When much of the building was converted into flats, Instead of choosing the name Dewar Smith Building or Bellevue, it was called Glister Mill by the property developers. What a stupid word. It's got nothing to do with the cotton industry, nothing to do with Skipton. I've mentioned earlier how the little spindle mill off Court Street was turned into Spindle Court by the developers. I've also mentioned in the last episode how the uh, silk mill on Sackville Street was called Sackville Mill after the developers of the mill there. And yet here we are with something in Skipton called Glister Mill. What on earth were the council thinking of to allow it and to put up the road signs showing it? Anyway, rant over and that brings me to the end of this episode of the History of Skipton. Thank you for listening in, and we'll talk more about other mills in Skipton next time.
Get ready for the smartest bundle in streaming. Six streaming services for the intellectually curious. Featuring Curiosity Stream with the best collection of documentary films and TV shows. Psalm TV and great stories from the world of wine. Taste Made for the fun side of food and travel. Topic with the best thrillers and crime stories. And so much more. From nature to history, technology to food, mystery to adventure. Get six streaming services for one low price. And less than $6 a month, it's the best deal in streaming. Learn more and sign up now at smartbundle.com.